Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 23. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Pertu Kivilakso, classically trained cellist and co-founder of Finland's Apocalyptica. A student from the age of five, trained at the Sibylis Academy, Pertu was set to follow in his father's footsteps. At a young age, he earned a lifetime chair in the Helsinki Philharmonic Orchestra, just like his father. But a funny thing happened at summer camps in the academy. Pertu met fellow metalheads and began messing around with classical versions of hard rock and metal songs. Before long, they'd released their debut album, Apocalyptica Plays Metallica by Four Cellos. That was over 20 years ago. Apocalyptica has now sold millions of albums around the world, topped the active rock radio chart in America, collaborated with members of Hymn, Slayer, Sepultura, Shinedown, Flyleaf, Three Days Grace, Lacuna Coil, Slipknot, Gojira, and Romstein, and released seven more albums, comprised mostly of original material, alongside songs by Pantera, Faith No More, and David Bowie. But it all began with Metallica, of course. Apocalyptica has done Inner Sandman, Master of Puppets, Harvester of Sorrow, The Unforgiven, Sad But True, Creeping Death, Wherever I May Roam, Welcome Home Sanitarium, Battery, Nothing Else Matters, Seek and Destroy, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Fade to Black, One, Fight Fire with Fire, and Until It Sleeps, among others. At the 30th anniversary shows in 2011, Apocalyptica joined the Boys in the Bay for No Leaf Clover, One, and Seek and Destroy. Their most recent album is Shadowmaker, produced by Nick Raskalenis, who has made records with Rush, Foo Fighters, Alice in Chains, Deftones, Ghost, Evanescence, Korn, and Rise Against. So here it is, my conversation with Pertu Kivilakso. This is Speak and Destroy. Tell me a little bit about, you know, before we even get to Apocalyptica, um, yeah. tell me a bit about your upbringing and, um, you know, the intersection there of, uh, you know, growing up in Helsinki and becoming a classically trained cellist and uh, where metal and rock music and how all of that intersected for you. Yes, so actually, all of us cellists, we have known since small kids because we participated already when I was like 10 at the similar summer camps and played together. So, And then finally, we met all wearing in the Sibelius Academy, which is the music university in Helsinki, Finland. Uh, in there, we had really strong cello society and we loved to play different types of music together and even before all of this apocalyptic thing played something like Jimi Hendrix and Tango and stuff like that together, it kind of felt natural to try. Of course, a couple of us, we were really, really like metalheads beside being classical students, but we loved metal music. For me, the first bands that I started to listen were like Judas Priest, Skid Row, Iron Maiden, stuff like that. But when I was maybe 30, like that, it started to go all the, all the time towards hard music. And then, of course, Metallica, it was obviously really, really strong, really banned in Finland for all of us kids. So we kind of got this crazy idea and playing and trying to sum songs in summer camp at the cellos. And that's the main thing where we're interested in the idea of uh, playing Metallica cellos started. So 
in that times we had no idea that we would be doing this as a real profession still after mm-hmm. 22 years or something like that and pretty crazy journey has been but um, didn't have plans nothing of that we just enjoyed the music and we're playing we were really good friends and surprisingly we still are <laughs> so, so that's about it yeah but of course, I started to play cello when I was five. I followed kind of my father's because he is, he was also for his retirement. And so I went into classical orchestra before joining full time and uh, stuff like that. So basically the entire teenage, it was the classical music. But besides that, we were having fun with different types of music. You were winning competitions as a classical cellist, right? As a teenager and... Um... And, it, and at some point attained, I believe, a lifetime chair in the uh, Helsinki Philharmonic? Yeah, I, I did quite well <laughs> when I was a teenager in a classical scene. And, and uh, of course, weird, I got the position in Helsinki Philharmonic Orchestra when I was 18, lifetime chair. And uh, even we already had started with Apocalyptica. Took a couple of years when we realized that actually the thing is starting to grow and people kind of got nuts about the thing and I wanted us more and more concerts. I had the possibility to play professionally in an orchestra for maybe six or seven years. I had to quit that one to really give my all for this band. Uh, those six years I tried to do kind of both go to an orchestra a couple of months and then I say that I'm really sorry but I would need a one year off to be able to do like a massive with Apocalypse. They were really supportive but then I came back for another couple of weeks saying it's another year off. It's not gonna work anymore. Yeah I think that's really similar to a lot of rock musicians and their experience with their day job but the difference the the massive difference being for you that both jobs were as a professional musician. <laughs> you ultimately yeah. had, to, had to choose one over the other. What, what was your experience like as a you know a self-described metalhead who was listening to Priest and Maiden and Metallica and everything, kind of hanging around with um, not just other classical students, but then certainly once you're playing in the Philharmonic, um, well, you know, how was was the culture welcoming to you in that sense, or did they did they think that you were strange? What, what were those interactions like? I think uh first years when we started to play the Metallica thing, people definitely thought that we are totally crazy or they probably were skeptic about the, that. Uh, what is this thing? I understand it really well because it seemed, for example, my personally, the choice to participate the band and start to do something totally else because everybody was like kind of expecting me being a classical soloist or chamber musician, whatever, something like that. So it was really kind of weird and brave decision. As a musician, I always have felt that uh, separate music so so much, actually, that for me, it is good. It, it really touches my heart, no matter where or what genre or scene it comes from. And that's the reason why, why we had so much passion about playing metal. Even there was kind of a lot of restrictions and I can admit that even my parents, are you now really sure that you want to ruin everything mm-hmm. you, you, you aim for? But I would say that the, to the fact that actually we are doing this with so big heart and giving every effort we ever can, even our teachers probably started to see it as a positive thing because suddenly, at least in Finland, Scandinavia or in the close areas where we started stronger, uh, started to be kind of a cool thing. and. 
what I remember well was that so many students, so many came to say that uh, earlier it felt kind of weird carrying a cello and, uh, you know, they were a little ashamed that if they go to play in a school because cellists had a kind of a nerdish stamp in, in your mm-hmm. forehead. And mm-hmm. I, I suffered about the same, same thing in a high school and places that I was insecure, kind of proudly presenting myself as a, as a because everybody wanted to just listen to rock or whatever and if I played Beethoven and Bach that was weird <laughs> you're mm-hmm. not supposed to do that when you're a kid <laughs> so I think if it encouraged anybody to think re- rethink about cello that cello can be a cool thing and I, I think then we succeeded that is one of the most important things we maybe achieved as a band that in Finland the entire thing, the cello, got so much attention and suddenly people started to talk about, oh, wow, that's, these cello dudes, they are from hell, they are cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I love, uh, you know, because certainly there is a connection between classical music and metal music, you know, of course, you know, Wagner and things like that are kind of the more obvious uh, reference points, but I think what's really fantastic about what you do is that you are, you, you kind of reintroduced real strings to the equation. I mean, and there, you know, nothing else matters in some other instances where bands had resources to do that. But by and large, a lot of metal music, when there's symphonic elements, it's almost always played on keyboard. Um, yeah. And I love, you know, this traditional sort of approach that you take and, and how that's, as you said, uh, made it cool. <laughs> it's not, it's yeah. not so nerdy anymore. It's, um, it's cool again. Especially after a couple of albums, we started to create own music and uh, we had basically even uh, limitless chances to come express our as musicians, composers, because the cello can bring you. We, we always wanted to have very important and sensitive moments in our music. Like, of course, the version of Nothing Else Matters is like uh, agile and stuff like that. So. That is a very important part of this group that we were able to go into the metal festivals and suddenly strip down everything, no distortions, mm-hmm. nothing, and kind of force people to listen to a tone of a cello. So it's it's really cool that the instrument itself has been always the key for us, and uh, that must be the secret also behind that we have been able to do this. When did you first? become aware that Metallica was aware of the group? What was the first sort of communication or, or uh, you know, rumor conversation passed among, you know, how did you first hear that they knew about it? Actually, the really funny thing in here is that uh, um, we played earlier years, the early years before the albums even, we played just in like student stuff like that. But then we got the chance to play in one New Year's Eve rock club. And from there, we got a record deal. So we consider that our first real official concert. But already fifth concert to the rock audience was starting Metallica in a big ice hockey arena in Finland. So it was really crazy that they were able to, the record company, able to put us into the, that bill in front of Metallica. Guys basically, I don't know, in love with it or, or something, but they were really, really friended since the very beginning. Of course, that helped. We kind of got... The, um, their approval to perform these songs the way how we do. They invited us so many to play in front of them or, or stuff like that. So I always felt that they, they are 
of course, our big brothers, but I also feel that, especially like a person like Lars, having Scandinavian thing, he, he has this connection and mm-hmm. he really, really much supports us, which is, which is amazing. Yeah, that's come up on this podcast before, actually. Um, it's been it's been introduced as a topic of conversation that one of the keys to Metallica's success that's a little more sublime and uh, kind of underneath the surface, I think, is Lars having that European transplant to America uh, part of his background really helps widen the appeal and, and broaden the reach of Metallica internationally, you know, because there's, you know, whether it's Kirk being part Filipino and then James kind of being a little more middle America and of course you get Cliff's influence in there and Dave Mustaine and, and Jason Newstead being from Michigan and you know and now of course Rob Trujillo brings the Latino component that it's the band itself really um, represents uh, so much uh, so many different identities and cultures around the world and I think yeah exactly as you said Lars um, being Danish and uh, now being a knight of the Danish realm or whatever they call it there <laughs> um, you know yeah. certainly certainly helps that fifth show were you saying that metallica guys were there at the fifth show yeah so we played uh, our first uh, fifth concert in front of the rock audience uh we supported metallica in helsinki in the wow. ice hockey arena wow it was really amazing suddenly jump in front of maybe fifteen thousand. so we kind of got a really really kickstart into the career in and Ever since that first meeting with the guys, they have been really supporting towards us. And wow, and th- and that would have been uh, in the early '90s. Do you remember what what year specifically? '96. After the yeah, after the first album release. Fairly early on in your career, you know, being embraced um, by the metal community in in terms of you know Dave Lombardo from Slayer playing with you guys a lot, um, Billy Valo from him, I know, guested with you, and then you know over the years. Um, Everyone from uh, Gavin Rosdale from Bush uh, to Joe from Gojira. Uh, you know, it seems that there's a lot of support uh, for, you know, Corey Taylor. Uh, a lot of support for yeah. you guys and a lot of uh, creative people who want to collaborate with you and and get in on the original songs and, and things like that. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, never in a million years when you started this, did you think that you would be doing it a couple decades later and that it would be your full-time profession? You know, do you get a lot of classical players coming to the shows who are also coming from a rock background who are you know learning your songs and asking you questions about theory and technique and things like that actually yes uh, our audience is surprisingly wide of course so many bands has has the same thing but the, for us it's definitely we pull pull people from a purely classical world as well as the metal heads and uh, it's sometimes really great to see even three decades of people in the show that there is really the grandparents, parents, and kids. Of course, the uh, main thing, uh, it matters where do we perform. When we are doing our 20th and we uh, play Metallica by Four Cellos tour, we play in, especially in Europe, we have concentrated on playing in a great classical concert halls for mm. the audience. Because we also want to invite all of those people who kind of don't dare to go to the rock clubs or arenas or something like that. So we always want to present ourselves in different situations, different kind of festivals. We play sometimes even in classical festivals, as well besides all of the typical metal festivals as well. I think also now when we are coming next time to the States, after actually a couple of weeks, that we're going to tour for one month in USA in May. Uh, we play more kind of theater type of venues 
for a seated audience. And a really, really interesting approach, I think, for us. It really connects these worlds worlds together. So when Metallica did the S&M record, um, you know, performed with the San Francisco Symphony, was there any communication between you and them prior to that? Were you aware that that was something they were doing? And, you know, obviously there's a, a clear through line somewhere in there between what you were doing and and then what the band themselves ultimately did. Were you aware that that was going to happen beforehand? Yes, actually, and, uh, the guys even said that uh, the hearing cello metal, what we were doing those years, uh, kind of encouraged to want to try that, that thing by themselves. And therefore, they even invited us to see the show in San Francisco. So they really they, they paid everything. That's just, guys, we want you to see this. That's so cool. Yeah, it, it is really, really great connection. And uh, for example, what Metallica has always done, they have definitely been brave in everything they do, even if we talk about Lulus or whatever. Mm-hmm. They have been brave. They do have a strong flame towards music lovers. And I hope that we could be called the same, that uh, try different kind of things and surprise yourselves, surprise mm-hmm. fans with every album. Uh, we have been always really, really admiring the passion Metallica has towards music, and it really has influenced and reflects for our work, of course. I'd love to talk to you in a little bit of detail about a few of the different guests that you've worked with over the years. Um, tell me about the, uh, you know, getting introduced to Dave Lombardo originally, and obviously I think of anyone he's collaborated with you probably the most. How did that relationship begin? So actually, it's another funny thing that uh, it was one of our first really bigger European metal festival we played in the Netherlands in Dynamo Festival and Slayer was of course there and Lombardo had heard about that we we have Slayer, Metallica, all of this. He wanted to play with us on that gig and we had no rehearsal and played like Mandatory Suicide, Hell Away, a couple of <laughs> Slayer songs with Lombardo and it was really, really amazing of course and there also began such an important relationship for us because uh, uh, Lombardo said that I love you guys you play cello really cool but if you ever want drums let me do them for you wow <laughs> so therefore in our fourth album we came into the situation that we, we grew with songs and we felt that this might might actually sound really cool if we try to add drums into it. of course Dave was able to record that and therefore Apocalyptica had this big, big that we introduced into our music, but we haven't regretted it. And uh, of course, Dave, ever since basically played at least song or something nearly in all of our albums, just as a tradition, (laughs) he is one to blame blame about the existence of the drums. It's so cool. And then uh, Max Cavalera is another one I wanted to ask about. How did that relationship start? Pretty much the same thing. That, uh, we, we played a couple of uh, Sepultura songs from the very beginning of our career. And uh, these, these legends, they, of course, kind of, they got known with it. They wanted to see it always in a festival. The festivals has been probably the place where we always got introduced with the great, great people. And mm-hmm. they came to see our set liked it so there came the connection um i love that you worked with nina hagen how did that come about it was nina hagen's idea because she she really apparently <laughs> liked our but she also had this feeling that he, she wants to see great ramstein track uh, salmon mm-hmm. and she she approached approached, approached us 
with this idea i wanted to have cellos in there and uh, it was one of my favorite cooperations actually because uh, nina hagen is such a phenomenal and impressive former with a lot of wonderful and even crazy ideas and and amazing i also would like to talk about uh joe from gojira was that another uh encounter that happened at a festival gojira became at some point one of our favorite metal bands for many from our group they they were suddenly sounding kind of really fresh in a metal scene Mm -hmm. and and for that album we wanted a really powerful fast trashy song and we basically were all the time thinking about this in that because uh, it has also something magic in there and so and besides being like most amazing nice but always of course matters as well that if you get a good friendship good connection with people those are ones that you <laughs> first start to think mm-hmm. that with whom whom, whom would you like to play and all of these artists or even till lindemann from ramstein mm-hmm. uh, david bowie cover with with us and uh, with Ramstein probably the second most important band for our career after Metallica because oh wow was it six weeks big big European tour around 2005 and of course that tour opened us many markets and uh, be, they were also supportive towards that uh, they wanted us to go, come to perform couple of songs with them in their sets and I have never been so scared and standing somewhere <laughs> high in the middle of all those bombs and concussions but yeah really really cool so they wanted to show their fan base massive fan base that uh, we love these guys crazy guys from Finland and now you hear mine head sprint with the cellos and wow <laughs> so. and it's so cool the the collision of those two bands because uh you know each of you has an extreme approach to sound but you're using so so much different instrumentation to arrive there uh, so that's that's very cool to the idea of of those two together on tour i, I really like that what's interesting is uh, you know of the number of times that you have played with metallica and the number of metallica songs that you've done and the number of different guests that you've had from the world of metal and rock um, you haven't done much with the Metallica guys themselves. Now, of course, I know they don't they do not do many guest appearances or collaborations. Um, I know you did play with them at the 30th anniversary shows. What was that experience like? You guys did, I think, No Leaf Clover from the S&M record and um, a couple of other a couple of of course, Metallica uh, classics. It was a really, really big honor to be part of something like that the uh, most iconic band ever wanting us to be part of the their celebration shows and and because they said that they want to invite everybody who has been kind of influenced for them so it it mm-hmm. felt really, wow okay metallica if they respect us that much we we went there performed some songs even together uh like one which was absurd of course to suddenly be there playing music that you have loved since teenager and mm-hmm. you're standing just next to James who sings it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that really like a full circle coming like a close in there. And uh, of course, it's, it's not a big secret that of course we would love one day to really record or do something with the guys that dream come true. But uh, like you said, Metallica is definitely such a band and thing that uh, we don't even dare 
at, approach them if, <laughs> if they want to do something someday. It's it's up to them. But. Yeah, there's not there's not too many. They're not out there doing a whole lot of features, as they call it these days. <laughs> there's mm, not, yeah, not exactly. too many of that. <laughs> so yeah, who are some guests that you've um you know that you've wanted to work with, where maybe the stars just didn't align, or there was you know a missed plane flight, or a cancellation, or um or things that you hope hope you can pull off at some point. Is there is there a wish list that, yeah, that goes? We have always had like a big big wish list. Every you know great in, inspiring artists from Tom Waits to whomever, you know. Uh, and we approached and asked Pierre, could you do a song with us? And the answer was simple, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> sometimes it, <laughs> of course, we, we actually, we were in talks with, for example, Marilyn Manson at some point mm. to do a song together. But then, our, yeah. but that exact same song actually in the end ended up uh, sung by Corey Taylor. Mm. So basically, the entire "I'm Not Jesus" thing started as a Marilyn Manson thing, and he was really interested. We have also played many many shows with him, and I could still see that be an interesting combo. Definitely doing with Marilyn. Um, I would personally love to hear something like a really really great singer coming to us, or maybe even some rap dudes. Mm-hmm. Always turning the stones. We are aiming to start recording the next album in uh, next year's spring. Mm-hmm. At the moment, we have no idea yet, uh, how how do we deal with the or whom should we approach this this time. But first, we need to kind of write the material and see what kind of and types of uh, voices and vocals we would need in just that. But uh, we have been really blessed in that sense that so many people liked us and wanted to participate. One of the greatest cooperations we've done, like as a single, the success of "I Don't Care" with Adam Gondier, Three Days Grace," what was enormous. Mm-hmm. Actually, I would love to do another song with even with Adam one day. That song actually even was number one on the rock charts, right, in two thousand eight here in America. Um, yeah, I yeah, think I, I, think I, I remember reading you were the, you were the first Finnish band who had done that. Yeah, classically from Finland, like pretty far away, and doing especially very strange instrument and of course that single opened america for us totally in for a new level tour there already constantly and get better bigger crowds all the time and make the make it worse worth of the traveling so so it's really really good market for us and even that's that's a brilliant thing we love love playing in usa the audience is really strong in there and they still love the metal and rock music is strong at least in a mainstream feeling in Europe, is that the rock is kind of a little bit out. In States, you still feel that the rock radio is strong. People love this powerful music. It's remarkable in and of itself for a Finnish band, uh, as you said, to to even sort of break into America. Because I remember, you know, as a kid growing up, I think the first Finnish rock band I was aware of was Hanoi Rocks. And I, yeah. just, I just happened to have an older brother who was cool and was familiar with them and knew all of their records. And I remember when Guns N' Roses, when Appetite for Destruction came out and the Welcome to the Jungle video was getting played a lot on MTV, my brother telling me, um, yeah, you like this band, Guns N' Roses? And him showing me a picture of Axl Rose and Izzy Stradlin and then pulling out a picture of Michael McCoy or, or Michael Monroe and Andy McCoy and saying, uh, look, it's the it's these two guys. <laughs> um, and... Um, <laughs> Of course, you know, uh, bands like Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and stuff that were very influenced by Hanoi Rocks became much more successful and 
of course, there was a tragedy yeah. that kind of sidelined them. But yeah, and then, you know, later, uh, you know, Amorphous and, um, of course, him. And, uh, mm-hmm. and then even later after that, becoming aware of Children of Bodom. But but by and large, you know, it's, I mean, you can count on, on both hands the number of bands that have gotten any kind of notoriety here. And certainly you guys are, are you know, primary there among them. You know, is there anything specific to Finland that um, you think kind of, you know, obviously all the bands I just mentioned are, are very unique and distinct in terms of sound and, and audience. Um, is, is there something about rock music in Finland that is a, a unifying thread or a theme that you think connects uh, some of those groups um, that that is unique to that country? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, I would say that one one key thing is the our country. Of only uh, five and a half million inhabitants mm. in total. So it means that basically nearly every musician knows themselves. We went to the same parties all the time. And the uh, rock scene is like a kind of acceptive towards others as well you you don't you cannot too much competing everybody needs to support each others to kind of get going and that has been always the feeling between all of the finnish fans at least the mentality is that we, we want to challenge ourselves and therefore i would say that the finnish work mentality is really high and that is a good explanation about so many great musicians coming from finland that you want to all the time challenge yourselves you want to create maybe something unheard something new that would be one explanation for the fact that there is so kind of different Mm -hmm. bands nightwish at the moment who basically was one of the first bands introducing then the operatic voice on mm-hmm. top of metal music and uh, and him had so strong about all this love and uh, kind of the dark romantic side yeah yeah exactly and i mean hanoi rocks was like a, a hair metal band that where their singer also played saxophone <laughs> you know yes, like, exactly yeah something different yeah yeah of Hanoi is the first which happened from Finland ever, and uh, therefore they for sure opened the road for so many artists and bands after that. I would love to actually widen this to the entire Scandinavia, because mm-hmm. for example, Sweden, Norway, they are also full of amazing artists. Amazing of course, bands. yeah. And uh, But of course, it, it is impossible to say that does it have to do something with our never-ending winter darkness or is it just like that we, we love this kind of music in there? Mm-hmm. But probably the smaller community would be one of the explanations. That people hear easily uh, somebody playing powerful trash metal guitars and then you want the same kind of. This kind of really, I would say that uh, probably in Finland we had in the 90s similar type of uh, feeling than, for example, in, uh, in the Bay Area trash metal. At- mm. Everybody was listening to each other as everybody got some influences out of it and we were talking about the music and everything and how it should be done. And so, small community. <laughs> I did an interview with Ison from Emperor recently and one of the first things we talked about was our mutual love of the band AHA from Norway, okay. who was one of the few Norwegian bands to, uh, to break through in America and was one of my favorite bands growing up uh, before I was yeah. into heavy music or anything. And he's a big fan as well. And he actually told me that there's a, uh, there's a part somewhere on Anthems to the Welcome at Dusk, the second Emperor record, uh, where there's a, a part 
that's an homage to aha that's basically lifted from an aha song <laughs> and it's like you know you would obviously no one would ever think the, to look for that there but yeah he was a big fan and, and yeah obviously those bands couldn't be any more different but there is something about being from norway and scandinavia in general that um is unifying there i think that's a that's a great point that you made and yeah and of course sweden you know yeah in flames and at the gates and uh, dark tranquility and so many bands from from that whole area yeah. that are and actually this same same feeling is finnish and swedish bands as, as well like uh, i'm i'm really good friends with amona mart or arch enemy people that they are actually one of my fans at the moment and coming from sweden so whenever you meet fellow scandinavian people you kind of have this weird connection and i think that's a really great point that you made that i hadn't thought of before which is that for each of these bands that we're talking about they did have to do something very unique and specific and, and trailblazing to even just to stand out you know because most of these bands you can't really i certainly bands came along that were influenced by them that sound similar but each of these bands was was operating in their own space very much so when they when they started yeah totally that's very strong cool. concept uh Amonomars have entire viking thing and when people are thinking about metal music and vikings most likely it is Amon Amar that comes into your mind or Arch Enemy having uh, all the time the, the female vocal for such a growling. I think it's the same thing as with this. I feel like uh, I want to do something different, different way. At least let's try. And this kind of uh, courage to try even weirder things that would be a typical Scandinavian thing to do. Like playing metal music on cellos. <laughs> yeah, like playing Metallica by cello, which is in some some evenings, I feel that it is it was such a stupid idea when you know our custom made techniques are not working. And one of the favorite jokes is that uh, you are supposed to do actually something like this with cello. <laughs> right, <laughs> are laughing at our squishing sounds and you know obviously uh, you know doing songs that were that were written by Metallica and you know Pantera and and Sepultura and so many other bands. Were you ever surprised by any conversations with any of these songwriters about, um, you know, any notes or ideas that they had about ways that you'd approach their songs or, you know, have there been any, any conversations like that that were interesting or, or funny? Actually, we have talked something about these songs with, the, for example, with the guys from Metallica, of course, but uh, Sepultura as well and uh, Andreas Kisser. He was just on the podcast last week. <laughs> All right. Andreas was last Great week's episode, and, yeah. And uh, a band who showed us respect was definitely Sepultura when they wanted we record even a song for a nation, nation album. And uh, with them, we have always talked, and of course with Max. A lot, it was interesting, actually, last year we had uh, get to hang out with Max uh, somewhere proper time, and uh, we were really thinking about how how back in Brazil, back in the 80s, starting to do that thing. And it's so exciting to, uh, to hear people talking about the experience, that, that how did they become legendary? <laughs> mm -hmm. So everybody has been in the same situation, playing in a garage, just having this huge passion and will. So really connects people all around the world whether being metal musicians or fans, but you have the similar kind of urge and a need, something, and you feel it with this powerful music. And whenever we represent it anywhere in the world, it might be New Zealand or, or even South Africa, 
we get the same feeling in the audience. For I, I find it kind of encouraging in this world is so separating and like putting uh, cultures, religions, and uh, all that <laughs> bullshit. If I can say, mm-hmm. uh, at least in music, everybody feels that we we know our drill. This is the same thing that connects everybody, and I, I find it so encouraging. I, I absolutely agree, and and I think even something as yeah, you know making it as specific as Metallica, you know, I found, you know, starting a podcast about Metallica, the the conversations are endless. You know, at first you would think, wow, a podcast about one particular band, how many episodes of that could you do? Well, yeah. It, countless. It can go on forever. Even just in deciding to, you know, setting about having conversations with people that were influenced by Metallica or influenced Metallica or had some direct or indirect relationship to the band uh, my list of potential guests um, i'm adding to it literally every day <laughs> think of someone else yeah. that could be on you know and, and talking about the 30th anniversary shows for example you know i had uh brian tatler from diamond head on recently and uh, animal from anti-nowhere league and uh, you know both telling very similar stories like yours about how gracious and kind the band has been and you know bringing you over all expenses paid to do this or to be a guest here yeah. or, um, and, and of course, taking all you know each of these bands on tour and things like that. It's um, such a great example for um, how to conduct yourself, you know, as a as a musician in a band of that stature. When there are so few bands that have reached that level of success that they have the way that they are constantly introducing their fans to bands that influence them, and then is and then bringing out bands like Gojira or Avenged Sevenfold or you know bands that um, were influenced by them. It's uh, it's so great. It's what makes them worthy of uh, having a podcast about them, among everything else. <laughs> so. Definitely, yeah. their influence, everything is so enormous that it, it, it's obvious. But I think also it's wonderful to realize that being Metallica, even such an iconic thing for all these decades, they are big music lovers, and that is the key thing for me. At I do so much respect. It feels like they never gave up too much thinking about just like commercially or that how can we please. It feels that they have always just loved music, play it their own way, no matter what people think about anything or sounds of the snares in Saint Anger or, or like brave decisions. They mm-hmm. always follow their hearts in creating music and of course that pays off. Either you like some of the stuff, there might be something that personally for me was little, probably for many people, it was really weird thing to do. But in other hand, if you start to think even that it was a brave move to try something totally different and the respect towards the other artists. And I think what's great about all these different decisions that they make, whether it's, you know, the load reload arrow, whether it's St. Anger, whether it's Lulu, um, it, it always gives us something to talk about. There's, it's always, they're always part of the conversation, no matter what they do. Um, whenever there's a Metallica record that comes out, even the most elitist extreme metal person is aware that there's a Metallica record. They have an opinion about mm-hmm. it and they're, they're dominating the conversation. And I think that speaks so much to their, their courage and bravery as, as artists and, um, this attitude of, of doing whatever the fuck they want, however they want, yeah, <laughs> at any given time. Exactly. That that's what we need from art, and I and I love the idea of whether it's filmmakers, musicians, painters, authors, 
the idea of, uh, of uh, you know, the only way you're ever going to succeed in a spectacular fashion is to sometimes fail in a spectacular fashion. And I always love the idea that it's challenging and dangerous and it's never safe. And that's what's, <laughs> that's what's so cool. Um, I wanted to talk to you while I have you. Um, this most recent record of yours was produced by Nick Rasculenis, who uh, I'm not only a big fan of his work, but, um, you know, I've had the opportunity to meet and talk to him a few times over the years. Um, going back quite a ways, actually, to uh, around 2003, I think, was the first time I met him. What was that experience like in, in working with him? Uh, you worked with him in Nashville a little bit, right, before going back to Finland? Yeah, we, we spent a couple of months uh, making the Shadow Maker album. And, of course, besides all the, all the great artists we have met, we have been able to work with the strong people in the music scene. And uh, having, for example, Max Martin... Mm-hmm. co-writing this I Don't Care song and Howard Benson and now with the Nick we were able to make the full album and it was such an inspiring experience as well and it was the first time that we really kind of went far away from home to do the album just concentrating in it for a couple of months and he challenged us to rethink and didn't want to make a kind of repetitive album and for us, that evolving side of it has always been the main thing that when we go to the studio, we want to find at least something new to say to ourselves. That's great. Yeah, much like we're talking about with Metallica, the idea of challenging yourself as an artist and continuing to reinvent yourself and, and everything. I think that's one of the great things Nick does with bands. And sometimes it doesn't, you know, I know of a couple of no- notable bands that he worked with um that didn't finish their record with him or did and didn't put it out. <laughs> and I think some of that was <laughs> his very, his challenging methodology of um, stripping a band down and really making them yeah. evolve. And I think even those bands would say that the experience with him still led to something great with their next experience uh, through that transition that they did with him, you know? So yeah, yeah. I think that that's, um, it speaks volumes of uh, the importance of um, having a good collaborator. And, and yeah, you mentioned, Howard Benson, and I know you worked with Joe Barisi around that time too. And um, yeah, you guys have worked with a lot of great people behind the scenes, just as you have um, in front of the scenes. And I think that speaks a lot to how cool what you're doing Absolutely. is and what a great idea it was yeah. <laughs> in the first place. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's amazing to really be able to work with the top class people in the in the genre and uh, in the business. So I think we we just now after all these years we everything really with much respect we we are so thankful about the opportunity to still work in in this level and and i'm just really really curious actually that what what should do next and it's it's the greatest thing that you have your inner flame starting to lighten there and where where do we see us in uh, five years that i want to still continue this another 20 years if we just stay alive so i think that is the greatest thing that we have been able to stay friends always it has been a main thing for us that we we need to be friends and have the best possible together because of course spending so much uh, so many days in a year together and having all this responsibility and uh, creative even clashes of course it, there are different opi- op- opinions about nearly everything but you have to have a relation where you can grow over of all and find something that you can everybody can stand behind 
and to keep having new things to discover creatively i mean you know to be on your eighth studio record and for that to be the first to really have like you know a consistent singer throughout the record and have this kind of band feel i think like you said you have this blank canvas in front of you now where you can you can really take apocalyptica anywhere you want to creatively going forward and i think that's that's awesome yeah we always aim to surprise ourselves and we hope that the people <laughs> get the same thing that what we feel so far it has been great yeah so cool well um yeah so you're you're back in america next month you said yes we start i think uh, maybe is it 8 of may or something like that yeah great um well yeah well i hope to get to see you i've never gotten to see you play live before so uh, uh cross that off my list this year <laughs> so, yeah definitely um, great come to see it. it's a lot of fun awesome well this has been great i uh hope to talk to you again at some point yeah it was a pleasure ryan yeah likewise catch you later keep up with the cello metal group at apocalyptica.com be sure to follow Speak and Destroy on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And please, if you haven't already, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume podcasts and leave Speak and Destroy a five-star rating and a nice little review, because those really help encourage more people to discover the podcast. The Speak and Destroy YouTube channel collects all sorts of rare clips into cool playlists, and we're constantly updating Instagram with This Day in Metallica-style posts. Speakanddestroy.com features some deep dives with our guests, and make sure to check out past episodes with guests from bands like Avenged Sevenfold, Lamb of God, Megadeth, Pantera, Hailstorm, Judas Priest, Testament, Anti-Nowhere League, Diamondhead, Sepultura, and more. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Check out our sister show, No Prize from God, which features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Guests have included folks from Killswitch Engage, Emperor, Integrity, Alter Bridge, Demon Hunter, Under Oath, and more. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperHeroHQ. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey. <laughs>